Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. We really appreciate it. Don't forget that we have a giveaway going on. Runs till April 9th. All you got to do is go to iTunes, type in title your review, one year anniversary. One year, one year anniversary, one year, happy birthday, anything like that. Leave a review on iTunes and you will be entered to win a two morning dove hunt with four of your best, bu- uh, three of your best buddies, four, four man, two day dove hunt for september first and second second. and we're giving it away on april 9th so time is running out so go do that today this podcast is brought to you by dive bomb industries you better jump on some dive bombs because they go in a hurry it's already april and people are getting gearing up for this upcoming waterfowl season so you better jump on the ball and get you some dive bombs Soon, not another. There's not a better bang for your buck in the waterfowl industry than dive bomb silhouettes. They, not, not even close. They pack up nice. They look great. You can storm in the off season. We're in the off season now. You can storm. You don't have to worry about having a whole grain silo for a whole bunch of decoys. And like Jeff said, good bang for your buck. So be sure go to divebombindustries.com and get what you need for the waterfowl season. It's going to be here before we know it. It's turkey season. This podcast is brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. They've got the Boss Tom out there. Shoot that long beard in the face with Boss Tom. All American made. You don't see that very often. Made right there in Michigan. Brandon's got a lot of stuff going on. He's a good guy. Call him up and get you Boss Tom. Or they've just announced that they're going to start copper plating all of their BBs. Hold a tighter pattern. Uh, he said in his post, it is close to 100% of the pellets at 30 yards. So copper plating is coming next, and they're not going to charge you any more. So great company, great customer service. Go to BossShotShells.com. Get your ammunition from those guys, all American-made. Speaking of American-made, this podcast is brought to you by 737 Duck Calls. Made in Oklahoma from the boys from Oklahoma who can make a duck call. So they've got uh, they've got your duck calls, your goose calls, whatever you're looking for. Those guys can hook you up at 737duckcalls.com. They're cranking away on calls. I know that. I see their Instagram stories every day, and they're they're cranking them out. Get so, the old number one. The old number one. The way to go. This podcast is also brought to you by Lucky Duck. They got your turkey decoys. Collapsible, good looking turkey decoys. Also, they've got your spinners that you're going to need for this waterfowl season. Look no further. Lucky Duck is a one-stop shop. Predator calls, they've got it all. Waterfowl, turkey, predator calls, what more can you look for in a company? They've got it all. Great people. Great product. Was in Wisconsin this weekend at a – or was it Minnesota? Wisconsin, I Wisconsin at a show. Had a picture of Haley with some guys, listeners of the podcast. They badgered her, I guess. Oh, yeah. So, good company, good people. Be sure to check out Lucky Duck. This show is also brought to you by Sea Light LEDs. Illuminate the sky. Illuminate the darkness, I guess we should say. Put them on your trailers, your trucks, your boats. See what you're doing. No more fumbling around in the dark. Sea Light LEDs are the way to go. For sure. Look no further. Go to them. Buy them. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Athlon Optics. Great binoculars, great scopes, bargain price. Can't beat it. 
Athlon Optics is what I use, what I'm going to use this turkey season to spot those long beards doing their little deal, and then I'm going to creep up on them and slap them in the face. So Athlon Optics is the way to go. Make a great product. Also, this show is brought to you by William and Chris Vineyards. Texas made wine right there in high Texas. You can buy them at HEB, Central Market, Whole Foods. Chris is uh, a good good buddy of ours, makes a great product. He's out there peddling that wine right now. I saw he was at HEB not too long ago. Shaking babies and kissing hands, what he's doing, selling <laughs> wine. Jesus turned water to wine. That's right. <laughs> he's turning beer drinkers into wine drinkers. That's right. So, Or you can buy it online and they'll ship it to you, williamchriswines.com. Last but not least, this show is brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. The OG of the waterfowl world. Somebody called you an up-and-coming, up-and-comer. Yeah, a guy called me the other day. Yeah, I know you're an up-and-coming guide service. I know you're up-and-coming. Up-and-coming for 27 years. We'll get there one day. Uh, got turkey hunts going on right now, so if you're if you're in the market for that, get a hold of us. And then after that, believe it or not, it's dove season. Thank gosh I'm ready for it. Get through turkey season, and it's dove season. And I'm going to old Canada this year. Are you? Yep. Well, good. You are too. Um, we'll see about that. You got to start cracking that whip around the house, Andy. We'll see about that. So, uh, what the hell has that got to do with our company, Jeff? I have no clue. I was just excited about dove season. Oh. It got me thinking about I got to go dove yeah. hunting, then I got to go to Canada and go yep. field duck hunting. Dove season will be here in September. So, if you're looking for that corporate event, you can't beat our prices. What are our prices, Jeff, for a weekend of dove hunting? Weekend dove hunting, $450. That's meals, lodging Friday and Saturday night, dinner Friday night, three meals Saturday, breakfast Sunday morning, get a hunt Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for $450. Can't beat it. No, it's a hell of a deal. Bring that uh, bring that big corporate group out here. We'll have a great time. Maybe you can watch us uh, record a podcast or two while you're out here. So that and then waterfowl season. Yep. It's, it's, it's all laid out there. I can't see the finish line, but I know it's there. It'll be waterfowl season before you know it. So uh, we got all that you're looking for. Look us up, stanfieldhunting.com, or call us, 940-658-3172. Jeff will call you back or answer the phone if he's out here. I'm always in the office. Always in the office. All right. So that's it. That's all of our great sponsors. Be sure to check these guys out. Okay, on this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Richard Charlton. He has started a duck club in southeast Missouri. Instead of having to pay a whole lot of money, he's taken guys from across the nation, and this way they can hunt some prime duck area, hunting all flooded rice and flooded beans. So this is a way that the average guy can participate in above-average duck hunting and not break the bank. So... He gets on talks about that. He also uh, is a knife maker by trade. We talk a little bit about that. Interesting podcast. So, anyway, here we go. Here we go. Three, 
two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I am Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. And on the line with us today, we have Richard Charlton. Richard, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. How y'all doing? We're doing wonderful. Now, you're in Missouri, correct? Uh, I live in North Carolina, but yes, sir. My lodge is in uh, the Boot Hill, Missouri. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about hunt clubs. And we in Texas, we don't have any hunt clubs really here. They're very small if we do. So I want you to explain to everybody the hunt club and how the process works. Oh, yes, sir. Um, well, what I'm doing with my hunt club, it's kind of a new concept to me. I'm not sure how long it's been around. But what I'm doing is taking guys like me that can't afford these $150,000, $200,000 leases down in the Boot Hill, Missouri, northeast Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and I'm consolidating a group of guys together at a decent entry and annual rate in order to consolidate funds to make to hunt above our means on it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so instead of hunting one little pit for a whole season for a lot of money, you have several pits, several fields, several options as well as a place to go back to at the end of the day. You're not spending money on a hotel. You're not spending money to rent a spot and put your camper. You're not living out of your camper for a week or two at a time. You, you, you got a bed to go home to. You got a hot meal. You got places to hunt. And you got buddies to hunt with. How many people are in this group with you? Um, right now, I'm, I'm maxed membership at 20 people. But uh, at, at this rate, I might, I might keep it at 15. I mean... Less people, less problems. I don't know how, how you'd say that. I mean, but right now, max membership's going to be capped at 20 people. How, how, many, how big a place is this that you have? Uh, it's a four-bedroom, two-bath, 2,500-square-foot house with a shop. It's got a back porch, uh, living area, and um, I'm actually adding on to it right now to add an extra two bedrooms. That way people have a little bit more room to breathe. But, um... Yeah, I mean, you're going to have two beds per room or bunk beds in a few rooms. And if the whole club's there, they'll have somewhere to stay. But the chances of all 20 guys being there at one time are pretty slim, seeing as there's guys from all over the country coming to this spot. So how does the, how does the membership how does the membership work? Guys just get a hold of you, and then they pay their annual fee, and then they can come as much as they want? Or do you have certain – you can block off weekends? How does that work? Because hunt clubs are completely foreign. Uh, well, here, here's what I, here's what I'm doing. I mean, there's hunt clubs local to me in North Carolina where you're allowed to hunt certain days, or mm-hmm. you pay a you pay a membership due up front, and then you still have to pay every time you use the field. Like I know of clubs where you pay ten thousand dollars a year, but then you pay two hundred dollars a hunt right. to hunt these impoundments, flooded fields, anything like that. What I wanted to do was you pay one flat fee, which in this case is five thousand dollars a year. Unless you're a veteran, first responder, or something, then you get a five hundred dollar discount. Or if you get me a group of guys together, say you got five buddies that like to duck hunt, I'm not five hundred dollars off per person. That way, you all save about a half a membership between the five of you. Right. And what I'm doing is I'm covering your lodging, I cover your food, I cover water, soda, drinks, um, I cover your licenses. So you show up, I take you down to the local Walmart, which is 15 minutes away and I buy your license for the year. If you haven't bought your federal duck stamp, I buy that. Um, I cover the pit leases. I cover two brand new Polaris Rangers, which I'm actually delivering on here in the next couple weeks. 
So, I mean, really, you show up. If you've already gotten your license in the last couple, like another time you came to hunt or something like that, you just hop in your truck, hook the trailer with the ranger up, run down the road to the pits, which I'll show you how to get in and out of before you go because I don't want the farmer's field to get torn up. We're very, very conscious of other people's property. And then you just you hunt for two or three hours, you shoot your limits, and you get out. So, so basically what you're doing is you're giving a solo hunter a place to be a member of to hunt with other solo hunters because they can't bring a guest with them, can they? Well, actually, I do have a guest policy. I've got a guest policy in place. you got to clear ahead of time. I've got waivers and stuff you have to sign. But um, say, say you want to come hunt with a, a buddy of yours and he wants to try the club out before he commits to it the next year. If there's spots open for next year, you bring him out there. He pays fifty dollars a night, but he also he covers his own license and everything. He's non inclusive. He doesn't. Have, he kept. He got. He's got to pay for his food. He's got to pay for his licenses, all that stuff. So with it, that fifty dollars, he signs a waiver, gives me fifty dollars, and that gives him the gives him permission to hunt the pit with your supervision. So like, say you have a membership, you want to bring out a couple buddies to try out the club for the next year. They pay their money, but you're responsible for them. So if they go off and trespass or if they go off and do something not smart, that reflects on you. And I can hold that, hold you accountable for their actions. What do, so do the other members, do they have, do they get to approve of new members or is that all up to you? How does that work? Oh, what, what I'm doing in this club with 20 members, I'm going to have myself as a president. There's going to be a, a vice president position and three board members. With the board members, I'm trying to pick – like, if we have a big group from Virginia, they're like, hey, you pick amongst yourselves who you want to represent your area. Well, we've got a big group from Oklahoma. Hey, pick amongst yourselves who you want to represent you. And then say there's a big purchase decision comes up like, hey, we need to get a new ranger for the club this year. But before I do anything, I want you guys to approve it. Or, hey, we've got a certain amount of money left over this year from club dues. What do you want to do with it? Do you want to add a pit next year? Do you want to lower membership dues something like that like i like i told jess on the previous conversation I'm, I'm not trying to make money off this club this is this is uh hard to say like like a non-profit duck hunting club <laughs> you're wanting to I mean, pay to play work. yeah i mean you got to pay to play but at the same time i'm not trying to make money off other people's hard work and sweat i want to duck hunt i want to get to know you uh I, i'm not in it for daddy's money i'm not in it for anybody's money i'm in it to duck hunt get to know some people that are like-minded and really, I mean, just have a good time. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the memories. Have, have you done this before or is this your first year? Uh, this will be my first year with this club. I've been in clubs in the past. I've been on a wait list in the area for several years. I've hunted in the area several years, but never any openings in the clubs locally. I mean, I, I think I've been I've moved up one spot in the club in the last four years, and that's <laughs> oh, because shit. somebody died. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you know, I mean, the spots don't open up, right? Because in e every group has one guy that's a pain in the ass. You're yeah. going to have that one guy that's a pain in the ass. So, oh yeah, and I mean that's that's why we're so picky. Like, uh, we I've got a contract, I've got bylaws, I've got waivers that you've got to sign before you're a part of the club, and. I mean, even if you're, you think you're a model citizen, if you don't get along with the group and they're like, hey, this dude's causing problems, bring it to my attention. And that's what the board's there for as well. Like, hey, this guy caused problems this year. This guy didn't get along with this guy. We're not out there to argue. We're not out there to, 
to complain. We're not out. We're not out there to start fights. We're not. It's not a dick showing contest. It's it's duck hunting. <laughs> and if you break the rules, this is a tolerance policy. Like break the rules, you're gone. I mean, no excuse. How many acres do you right have? To, right now, we got about 300 acres of flooded rice and soybeans. And then we're butted up. One of the one of the pits is actually butted up to Big Lake WMA, which is on the Arkansas border, and it's several thousand acres of flooded timber and stuff like that, where the ducks going to to relax and stuff like that. So, and nobody hunts it. I mean, I, I'm sure people in Arkansas. I think there's a draw process or something for the WMA. But uh, on the other side of the border in Missouri, there's this little clump at the north end of WMA. I'm not sure if it's allowed to be hunted. I think it's a refuge. So are you flooding corn on your stuff too? Uh, all the fields we have are flooded rice and soybeans. We have. Uh, I'm working on a dry corn field for when snow goose season comes in. For once that season comes in. So this will be. This will go beyond. This will go beyond duck season. This will. This membership. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It goes from teal season all the way through light oh, wow. goose. Can they? Shoot? So I mean, you get you get six months of ducks and yeah. and and geese out of this. I mean. Do they get to shoot deer? Um, I, I, we don't have a deer or a turkey lease yet, but once again, that's something else I'm working on. I'm, I'm actually talking to a few farmers an hour and a half north, two hours north, in Kentucky, Illinois, and Missouri. Because, I mean, we're two and a half hours south of Pike County, the golden triangle of deer hunting. So, I mean, if you deer hunt, that you're close enough to that where you can get into a, a decent lease up there. And say you do... Say you get a lease separate in Illinois or Kentucky. I mean, that's where the big deer have been coming out of the last couple of years. I mean, they just shot the new world record in Illinois this year. Mm. Say you get a hold of a lease up there, instead of having to get a hotel and crash at that or bring your camper up to the lease, even if you're not duck hunting, just give me a call. Say, hey, I'm coming up there to deer hunt in Illinois. Um, can I crash at the lodge? I mean, it'll be during deer duck season anyway, so I won't have any problem with it. Maybe you get a little duck hunting in while you're deer hunting. Well, I, I think for your five thousand dollar price, you're, you're, people are getting a hell of a deal. I, yeah. I can't believe you're throwing in meals. I, to me, that's going to be a pain in the ass. I would think just because we do meals <laughs> at the lodge. So, oh yeah, I mean, I've done all the math. I've written down the paper, and I mean, I'm not going to take the guys out to eat every night, obviously. But I think that's a that's a good that's enough for breakfast, lunch, dinner, decent meal. I mean, I like to cook too, so. Yeah, that's that. That's a, it's a hell of it's definitely a hell of a bargain. So you're basically once once hunting season rolls around, you're leaving North Carolina, going to Missouri, and you're going to be there. Absolutely. Through. I mean, I'm gonna. I have a nice business as well, so I'll be in and out of the club. But I've got something in place where somebody's going to be watching the property at all times. So, so is the property that y'all are hunting all where the where your uh, lodge is? The lodge is its own house on a couple acres. The the, the uh, fields, I think the farthest one away is about 25 minutes. That's not bad. Then the closest one's probably about 10 minutes. So, I mean, you roll out of bed, roll out of bed, throw on your waders, throw on your gear, hook the, hook, the, uh, hook the ranger up to your truck, drive down to the pit, unload the ranger, ride out to the pit with your group or by yourself. Um you put all your gear up, and then you drive the ranger back to shore on a designated path through the through the flooded fields because you don't want the farmer to get mad. Park it, cover it up with a camo net. Walk back to the walk back to the pit. There's already going to be decoys out there, 
season long. And I mean, all you got to do is hook up, put the mojos up, hook the battery. There's a car battery in each pit that's going to be charged overnight. Hook the car battery up, and then you got your mojos and your remotes in the pit. So, I mean, really, this is private. You can literally roll out of bed an hour before the sun comes up, get out there, and make it happen. Right. Now, um, how many? How many will each pit hold? Six, seven, eight? Are they going to be able to hold all twenty? What's your? I've got. Thinking there. I've got three 12 foot pits in the same field. So you can hold four or five people comfortably in the 12 foot pit. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the rest are 16 foot. And then I've got two 24 foot roll tops that are really nice to have the roof on them and stuff. So you want to tuck down underneath and cook some breakfast while you're hunting and stuff like that. And what we do is the night before, if the whole group is there, we go, hey, uh, me, 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 Bob, and Jim are going to go to this pit. Uh, what pit do y'all want? If they don't have a request for a pit, then they go to whatever pit they want. Like well, That's why I got two rangers and stuff like that. What if they want the one you, me, and Jim and Bob are going to? Then what do you do? Uh, rock, rock, paper, scissors, draw a <laughs> stick, or, um, I mean, or be, I mean, it's common sense. First rule of the club, if you read the bylaws, is common sense. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, if they want to hunt the pit that bad, then I'm not going to be like, well, that's the best pit. No, I mean, all these pits give you a, I, I don't think I've gone into any of these pits and not had a chance at shooting a bird. Well, see, Even last season with the horrible season down south, there were still birds in this area. See, I, I deal with three to six guides, and sometimes we have three to six different parties, and I deal with the lobby, and I want to hunt that place. I, I do it all the time. And I'm the boss, the one that's collecting the money and paying them, so I have final say-so. And a deal like that... I can obviously see that one guy is going to be a real pain in your ass. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, if he's a real pain in the butt, then he's going to be a pain in the butt for one season because <laughs> I don't want pains in the butt. I want duck-cutting buddies that are going to have fun, that are going to laugh, have fun, drink a couple beers after we shot ducks. There's no alcohol allowed in the pits at all. Zero tolerance possible. If you wake up in the morning and you're hammered, I'm going to be like, hey, man, not happening. I don't want you. I don't want you tipping into the pit in the morning. <laughs> right. I don't want you to make. I, want, I don't want guys around alcohol with guns in a duck pit. That's a good policy. With the dark to have. Still. That's a really good policy. Yeah. Well, I like the I like the theory of how this works because I deal with. I get solo hunters that call me sometimes, and they they have a hard time when I can't work them in, and they just man, I can't believe you just can't work one guy in. But a thing like this club, one guy can buy his way in and be around a lot of other guys that don't have a lot of buddies their place to hunt. And for $5,000 a year, you get to be a member of part of something that one rich guy's leasing for $50,000 a year maybe in some places. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I chose southeast Missouri, too, for a reason. I mean, it it brought the price down. You get get the northeast Arkansas ducks without that northeast Arkansas price. I mean, you go into – Northeast Arkansas, and the price of my leases would have almost doubled. Now, what about scouting? Are are you going to scout each place every day, or are the guys required for their own scouting? How's that going to work? Well, I'm see that's going to be on them. I mean, right? We're going to look at the wind the night before. Hunter does. We're going to look at the weather. We're like, hey, it's going to be freezing cold. We're going to have a northeast wind. The ducks are probably going to work into the field this way. If you go to these different pits, what do you think? It's going to be a it's going to be a put your heads together session. If 
if the ducks are at the point where you really had to scout them, I mean, I've been to these pits with no scouting before. We walked in with five guys and came out 30 minutes later with a five-man limit. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it is duck hunting, so there is going to be scouting involved, but that's on you. I mean, I'm going to scout, obviously, because that's the kind of duck hunter I am. I like to scout. I like to be prepared. I like to know what I'm getting into. I like to look at the weather. A week out, I look at the weather and be like, hey, I think I'm going to work this pit on Friday because the wind's just right. Or, hey, the wind's wrong for this pit. But most of these pits are in a position where you're going to shoot ducks out of them regardless. They're in open fields. There's not a lot of timber to channel them into or anything like that. What's what's the dog policy here if all 20 members bring a dog up? Sorry, I didn't hear that last bit. What What's the policy if every member brings a dog? I'm actually, uh, I've got a mudroom, and I'm in the process of setting up a designated, that's one of the add-ons. I'm putting in a climate-controlled kennel room. Gee. No, no, I'm talking about what's going to happen when all 20 guys want to hunt their dogs the same day. Uh, if all 20 guys have a dog. And they all want to hunt. <laughs> well, most of the members don't have dogs, so I haven't had to worry. That's a really good question. I'm going to. I've got enough room for 20 dogs if I need to. It's going to be a loud kennel room. but <laughs> no, I, I'm not talking about the kennel. I'm talking about the pit. This is things I've gone through as an outfitter. you got a group and oh, yeah. got three guys got dogs. You're like, we don't even need one We don't even need one dog. We damn sure don't need three dogs. Well, each pit, each pit has two dog, two dog platforms. So at most we're going to run two dogs. If, if somebody's really that dead set on running a dog, we'll say, hey, we'll run your dog today, we'll run your dog tomorrow. Like once again, it makes that, sense. that goes back to that's rule number good. one. That goes back to rule number one of your laws. Yep, it's just common sense. Work it out. Be adults. But that, I don't know. I, I've seen guys uh, throw little tipper tantrums when they can't bring their dog out. You know. Well, so, I mean, we got enough goes back fields that if yeah, I mean, we've got eight fields or no eight pits. Sorry, eight fields with one, two, three, four, five, eight pits in nine fields so that's eight pits with two dog platforms each that's 16 dogs that we can run i mean i don't know very many dog hunters they're going to run that are going to want to run two dogs right on a hunt but i mean if, if it if it happened then we've got the we've got the accommodations for it so how did you how did you end up in southeast missouri did you did you go on a hunt there when you were a kid how did what what led you to pick that area like I said, I've been on a, on a wait list for a long time in clubs in Oklahoma, Northeast, uh, North Dakota, uh, Northeast Arkansas, Southeast Missouri. I've been on a wait list when I was in the Army. Southeast Missouri, I've been on a wait list, and I didn't budge on the wait list mm-hmm. for ever, like almost nine years in the Army. And I was on a wait list for six of those. Wow. Like, hey, I want to get into a duck lodge out there. And nobody, everybody's like, well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> So like I said, one one time I moved one time in three years because somebody died. It's like wow, <laughs> this is not going to happen. So I retired from the army in October 2016 with a medical discharge. I got injured, and I was like, all right, I get home and I own a knife business. I help my dad get back on its feet and get it cranking out. And I was like, all right, I don't want to do knives twelve months out of the year. Mm-hmm. I want to guide. I want to. I want to hunt. So I, I looked up a career where I could hunt. So then I started guiding up in Alaska. I'm a licensed Alaska assistant guide right now. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. I'll do six months of guiding, six months of, uh, six months of knives. And then 
this open an opportunity opened up in southeast Missouri. I got a call from a buddy of mine in the area. He's like, Hey, I got some really good pits just opened up. Uh a guy that he outfits out of the area lost them. He had a land dispute with the landowner, tore up the fields or something. And he's like, Do you want them? I'm like, Yeah, let's check it out. And he sent me the price and I was like, Yeah, I can do that. And then I was like, All right, time to find a place to stay and I was looking at uh rental properties in the area. I'm like, I'll just rent a house and then I found all these foreclosures and then a lodge that I that I know of in the area opened up and it was like the price was just too good to be true. I was like, Hey, <laughs> Furnished lodge, great pits, great area. Yeah, let's do it. So I mean, I, I took I, I took my savings. I pretty much emptied my savings to make a dream come true. <laughs> that's that's something. So, um, did you grew up? You grew up duck hunting. I'm I'm assuming. Yes, sir. I mean, I my dad wasn't a duck hunter. Crazy, crazy concept. My dad wasn't a duck hunter. Mm-hmm. He was, he's from Southern California. He was a cop in Southern California. Retired from there. Met my mom in North Carolina. And as a kid, I grew up hunting deer, hunting turkeys, hunting black bear in northeastern North Carolina. I went to Safari Club International from when I was in diapers to when I left for the army. I mean, that's 18 years of going to one of the biggest hunting shows on the in the United States. And I was around it my whole life. And then ducks, I mean probably eight years old i was the first time i was in a duck boat and now i was 29 years old and i was like this this is it just sets a fire under underneath me i mean i, I am passionate about the waterfowl community I, I love to hunt deer i love to hunt turkeys i love to hunt bear but just something about ducks like even in the off season i see a wood duck cup up <laughs> into the swamp behind my house and i'm like my heart starts to flutter yeah. or i'll see mallards fly over a like a cornfield out in the middle of nowhere and i'm just like oh my gosh i wish i could go hunt this hunt right now oh my gosh mm-hmm. so what about your knife business what kind of knives do you make are they all foldable or, or i make a custom blades? damascus damascus knife i make fixed blades folding knives swords axes anything you can think of i can do it i just use damascus steel to do it so damascus is a type of steel it's not a type of knife it's a yes, sir. It's a uh, it's folded. Two different types of steel folded over themselves several hundred times, five hundred plus layers to form a to form a pattern on the steel. Looks kind of like a oil sheen or something like that on the surface. Mm-hmm. If you look at my website, it's www.damascususa.com. Mm-hmm. I'll have to go check that out. Do you do the uh, the what are they? Uh, fuck, uh, karambit. Is that what it's called? I can do anything that you can come up with. Like, say you um, say you come up with a concept in your head, you draw it on paper, and say, "Hey, I want this knife. I can draw it." I mean, you could do a, you could do, uh, you could do cup ducks on the side of a, on the side of a swamp or something, and like do a cutout, and I can trace it to match. So I really want to anything I can, you can think of, I can do it. Yeah, it, when it comes it, to metal work, it's called the uh, karambit knife, though, isn't it? With like the curved blade yes, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- those are badass that looking blade. knives. Well, I've done them in the past. Uh, man, they they were really popular a few years ago. Like everywhere you look, they were everywhere, and now they've kind of kind of calmed down, and everybody's looking at cleavers. Yeah, cleavers That's a really are popular, popular model yep. right now. Yep, it, it, it all depends on the mood. Different different strokes are different folks. It changes every year. That is crazy. I wonder what sets that off because you're right. About 2016, the Karambit crave, and I might be, I might be butchering the pronunciation on that. And right now it is cleavers because I've got the Gerber uh, flat iron at the cleaver. Oh yeah, there it changes every year. I, I mean, we got a we got several old Loveless style knives like Vix blades from the 80s and 90s, and that style never goes away. I mean, we've 
we did blades for buck knives. We did uh, we made a knife for President Reagan. Really, both President Bushes, and we're in the process of trying to make a knife for President Trump. Holy shit! How does that come about? Like I said, I've been going to Safari Club my whole life. So I mean, I've seen, I've met people like Chuck Yeager, Norman Schwarzkopf. Uh, met both President Bushes. I never got to meet President Reagan. I, on the back of our business card, if you go on the website, my mom is pregnant with me in the picture where we're presenting a big Bowie knife to President Reagan right after he got out of office. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, my dad's been around. He's met a lot of big names in the industry, and I was blessed to be around that my entire life, like being around a master craftsman like him, learning how to make these knives. And now I'm retired from the Army. I made knives while I was in the Army, like, learning and dabbling and all that stuff. And I've been doing it since probably, I've been doing that since before Duck Gun. I probably picked up a hammer the first time when I was six years old, beating on uh, beating on lawnmower blades and stuff in my dad's shop, learning the, learning the curve and learning everything about it. Right. And now here I am, 29 years old. I'm at a point where I'm good at making a knife. Yeah. <laughs> it only took me 23 years. <laughs> So, so when you make a knife for a president, do you get his input on it, or is this something that y'all just come up with in your head and then you design it and then it's, present it to him? It's more of a yeah. It's not like President Trump's going to call him and like, hey, this right, is right, right. she's doing a knife. No, right. we like do our own thing. The hardest part of that is getting an audience with him. And thankfully, Safari Club, we got to see the Bush, both Bush presidents in person at that show for several years before the senior died. Mm-hmm. This year, which was tragic. Yeah. Or last year, into last year. How long is and, it? And, um... Go ahead. What What all... What would you... Go ahead, Jeff, with your question. How, how long does it take to make a knife? I mean, with the process I've got in place, I can do a few a week pretty easily. Because, I mean, I'll do a bunch of bar stock one day. And then the next day, I'll put a bunch of handles on knives that are already done, like blades I've already finished in the past. And then another day, I'll acid etch a bunch of blades to get the patterns out and then they're already finished and at this point i've got about 150 knives in some state or another that aren't finished that are in the process of getting done mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it, it took us a long time to get to that point but with the process we have in place we can knock it out at a decent clip what, what's what? that show called forged in fire forged in fire i've watched that a couple oh, times my- We've been invited. We've been invited to the show. Actually, my dad's gotten a few emails for their veterans edition. It's just like, hey, we're already kind of backed up <laughs> too much at this point. Like, I'm not saying too much backed up too much, but I mean, when you got a back order list that's two years long, right? So that's that's how long like, it takes. If if somebody ordered a knife today, they'd get it. If you were to make April a custom order, yeah, we try and do a few uh, models that we keep on the table, right? We've got our standard models, and we try and keep a few of them in stock at all times. And honestly, at this point, with as many orders as we're getting, we might even get rid of those and just go to custom order only. It's, it just depends on the market. Fortunately, the last couple of years, the market's been booming. The economy's been great. And and so people have a lot more discretionary income to spend. And what what's an average knife cost from you guys? I've got small fixed blades that go about 260 up to... I just did a 21-inch blade D-Guard buoy that we sold for about $5,000. That's a big-ass blade. Oh, yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's like a sword. And I've done bigger than that in the past. I've done full-on two-handed Claymore swords. And (laughs) 
it's a lot of work. It's a labor of love. But, I mean, this is the kind of sword, like, I'm going to put it over my fireplace and show it off to everybody, but if a zombie kicks down my door in 10 minutes, I can <laughs> chop him in half with it. Yeah. <laughs> so what does uh, what does W's knife look like? Sorry, what? What does W's, what, what's uh, Bush uh, Bush Jr.'s knife, what's his look like? What, what designs we and did stuff? a it was actually in blade magazine it was a it was a featured knife in blade magazine it was a v62 with some scrimshaw on the side what does that mean for for uh, it was like a, a like dummy. a drawing on the side of it oh, okay it, it's like fancy drawing on the side it's like ground into the bone that was used for the handle and stuff like that so which which what type of blade is harder and this has turned into a knife podcast but okay. it's it's interesting shit <laughs> what's harder to do a folding a folding knife or a fixed blade knife oh absolutely folding knife by far a, fold, a fixed blade knife you do one piece of metal i mean mm-hmm. one piece of steel it's easy it's straightforward and i mean i say that's easy but if i were to tell people the process it'd make their head spin right but a folding knife, then you've got the locking mechanism, you've got the blade, you've got the handle separate, and you've got a forged part of the handle itself for something to fold into. Then you got to make it so that you can't have it so everything's really, really tight because then it won't open the way you want it to. And then you can't have it really, really loose because then it'll shake around in your pocket and be dangerous for you because you got to worry about it slipping in your hand. Yeah, well, so yeah definitely, definitely a folding knife. Well, on the process on, on forging and fires, only knife show and the only thing i know about knives is from watching it what's the thing that you put it in like a sand deal when it's on fire you put it in this is that sand you put it in what is that it's just it just it just quenches it it, it, it quenches the heat but it's sand it, it's more it's it's it depends on the knife it depends on the knife because like on damascus we use a few different different materials and stuff to bring it down right and how long will it take you that twenty-one inch blade, start to finish? Killing me. Uh, I'm probably a hmm, couple hundred hours in that knife at least. Oof. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a labor of love. And if I really charged what I wanted to charge for him, <laughs> like by the hour, the knife, like your regular regular guy off the street couldn't afford them and that's not what i got in a knife where i wanted to make a quality knife that people could afford right so my dad started the business on that basis he's like hey i want to make knives that are nice but i want it to be affordable yeah and um what what kind of made you want to shift away from that are the hours terrible i gotta assume it's hot no, all the time. no no i love it i love it i love not making knives i love it i really do yeah it's you just want to add. Love, love, you just want to add. I love duck hunting. hunting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I wanted to be able to combine my two passions into a into a, like. So I've got. I told my dad. I was like, "Hey, I love I love making knives, but I see how you get once in a while. Like you do them for. You get a order in, and you're sitting there working in the forge, twelve to eighteen hour nights. Yeah. Ten weeks in a row, eleven weeks in a row, and you burn yourself out, and then you don't want to touch a knife. Right. Well, that makes sense. I didn't want to get to that point. I wanted to get. I wanted to pace myself. So I do six months with the knives and helping him. And I mean, he's still doing the knives full time. So even when I'm not there helping him, I'm still, I'm still a part of it. I just we ramp up production during the summer when I'm not duck hunting and stuff like that. So let's go back to the duck club for a minute. 
Yeah, or not, or just waterfowl <laughs> hunting, just waterfowl hunting in general. You live in North Carolina, correct? Yes, sir. Do you do you ever shoot swans out there? Oh yeah, I shot a I shot a thunder swan this year. I mean, I get I get a tag every year. How easy are they to hunt, or how hard are they to hunt? I the hardest part of shooting a thunder swan is getting a tag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, really, like if you know the right spot for them and you do proper scouting, all it takes is some good mouth calling. And, they and you'll shoot a swan every time. I mean, I I shot a swan other than when I was in the military in the last two years before this when I was waiting to get my tag back. I probably shot 12 swans in my life. Right. Do they decoy right in just easy as could be? Oh, yeah, they decoy. I mean, if they've been hunted really hard, they can be a little wary. But, I mean, when they do decoy right, it's amazing. Like, you mouth call them in. They come in in a group of 10, 15, 20. And then they'll see the decoys, but they won't cut right up and come into the decoys first time around. They'll do a lap or two because they're smart. I mean, they're a smart bird. They're so big, it's impossible to really miss them once they're in range. But <laughs> they'll circle once or twice, checking out your spread, and you're sitting out there with a couple snow decoys mixed in, and then you get those oversized Canada's and spray paint them white, and you lay them out, or you put about 50 decoys out and just hide in a ditch right there next to the decoys. And then you mouth call them in. You'll see them from a mile away coming in because they're huge. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen them in person. It's a monstrous bird. You pick one up, and the wings are as wide as you are. Yeah, I'm six foot one, and the the bird's got a bigger wingspan than I do almost. It's not bigger. <laughs> right. How do they? Uh, how do they taste? You, you, do you eat these? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, once most people buy a tundra swan tag to shoot the bird and mount it. Right. But yeah. once you shot once you shot that bird you put on your wall, I mean that's a fifteen hundred dollar taxidermy mount sometimes, a thousand dollar taxidermy mount. Yeah. So So, did- so I mean you get a thousand dollar taxidermy mount, you do it one time, you get it done right. And then from that point on instead of shooting a big old rusty headed trophy, which I mean that's how you determine if it's a trophy, you get that big red rust on the top of their head that shows it's a mature bird. You want to look for like a younger one that's got a little bit of gray on it where it hasn't molted completely. So you'll find a younger, smaller bird and they taste better. <laughs> I'll be damned. Well, uh, can you get... And like, I mean, the birds are so big, you can pick a bird. It's not like ducks where, all right, they came in, you have enough time to identify if it's a widgeon, if it's right. a, a mallard, and that's about it. You pull the trigger, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, okay, there's 15 of them. You see the third one from the right? He's got He's got a real rusty head. That's a mature bird. Or, hey, you're looking for an eating bird. You see that one on the left? He's a little smaller with a dark head. Hey, that's the one you want to shoot if you're trying to eat him. You can pick the bird because they're so big. You got time to determine what you're going to shoot. Can everybody get a tag that goes to North Carolina? I mean, because there's guys. It's still a lottery draw. It's still a lottery draw. Okay. And, I mean, but the way to get a tag in North Carolina, you get four or five guys together. I think it's four guys. And they come group. One guy in the group gets it. Everybody in the group gets it. I think North Carolina gives out like six thousand tags a year, which is the most of any state. Can you? So, I mean, your 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 best chances of shooting a thunder swan in North Carolina. Well, you see, I've always seen them advertise it, and I don't ever see nobody else on the East Coast advertising to hunt them there. So, is North Carolina the only place on the East Coast you can shoot them? I'm sure you can shoot them in other states. I just know North Carolina has the most tags of any of them. They're hard to get. I mean, North Carolina. I mean, North Dakota gives out some tags. I don't think. I don't right. know if you can shoot them in South Dakota. 
You can't shoot them in Nebraska. We have some cr- we have some swans here. We see every year swans, but we don't have a. We actually have a place east of here that holds a couple hundred of them now, and their their population has grown every year. But nobody hunts them. I mean, you can't shoot any of them here. Of course, I mean it's going to get to the point though where that becomes a problem, and they're going to have a season open up. I mean, you saw what happened to Sandhill Cranes in the eighties and nineties. They went from being an endangered bird to being millions on the Central Flyway, right. and then you got snow geese. Where everybody's like, "Oh, there's." <laughs> we all know what happened with snow geese. It's gotten to the point where there's so many snow geese now; it's almost a problem. Yeah, it's uh, they're becoming a big problem. They're eating their, they're eating their own. They're eating the tundra up, basically. Um, and you you only shoot one swan a year, or how how you how many tags you get? It's one swan, yeah. It's one swan a year, and you gotta you band its neck. You put a you put a your tag around its neck and sign, and then the guy's got to punch it and all that stuff and call it in. And then at the end of the season, if you shot one, you got to do a survey, mm-hmm. saying where you shot it, what and all that stuff. And if you don't do that survey, you're not getting a tag the next year. Oh wow. <laughs> So like they're really picky about it. Of of the six thousand tags, have have they reported how many uh, how many get taken? How many get used? I'm sure it's on the the, the website. I mean, I'm not sure how many are taken out of the six thousand. I know I know every time I go, we'll have a group of six, and all six of us will get our bird. Right. And then usually the guide will keep his tag on him until the last couple of days of the season and stuff like that. So are they? Are they? I'm assuming they're a dark meat, kind of like a, a duck and a goose. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can. Ro- they're really good too. I mean, you can roast the whole bird. Right. It's not like a. It's not like a, a duck where you just breast it and you're done, or steak where you just breast it and you're done. I mean, there's actually a decent amount of meat on them thunder swans. I would hope so. God Almighty, we're looking at one right now <laughs> oh, yeah. in our lodge. Oh, that's twenty yeah. something pound bird. A lot of neck to it. Yeah. A lot of neck. Yeah, it's like shooting a turkey. <laughs> shooting, a, shooting an albino turkey. <laughs> Are, have any of these uh, swans, have they ever been banded that you've got? I've never shot a banded swan. But, I mean, it's like Canada's and stuff. Some of them will be neck collared and stuff like that. I've seen buddy shoot banded swans. Sons of bitches. It's always somebody oh, yeah. else. It's never me. Oh, yeah. Every time. Okay, let's go back to the duck club now. It's just intrigued me. I think you're you're onto really something good there that a lot of guys could could do to compete with outfitters and other guides and or just rich guys basically in general. What do you uh you're gonna have twenty guys this year and you want to pick up more property so you you'd want you're gonna want to add some guys I guess. What do, what do you see happening in five to ten years with the hunt club that you're in? Well, what I'm doing with the contract, I'm gonna like when the guys signed like, hey, price isn't gonna change for three years. So if next year the price of leases goes up and I spend more than I, than the club makes, I'm going to eat it because I'm not a guy to go back on my words. And then, like I said, though, if, say, at the end of the year, I've got $5,000 left over for the club that hadn't been spent on food, hadn't been spent on fuel, hadn't been spent on maintenance on the, on the rangers, boats, stuff like that. I'll be like, hey, this goes into a savings account for the for the lodge. Like, say the, the the lodge loses its roof to a to a tornado or something. Like, hey, boom, we're gonna get it fixed. The, it's gonna be a self self contained, self sustained lodge. Any 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 profits? I put that loosely in quotations because me, I'm not 
like I said, I don't want to make money off of it. Any profits, I'm going to find a way to make the club better. Right. I foresee the only thing I see changing is you feeding everybody. <laughs> and I've been down that road before, <laughs> and it's a long road. And I, I don't think – I can't imagine being on a hunt club. I don't think a meals deal would break it. If I wanted to be on there to hunt, I wouldn't mind going to the store and get my own damn food to cook or whatever. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I think I've done my math at the point. I mean, that's one advantage of being in the Army. You get to do the logistics of, like, running a camp taking care of so many guys for so many days out in the field, stuff like that. You figure out, like, sanitation. You figure out food. You figure out – because, I mean, that's really what hunting's about. If you're a guide, it's like taking – it's like setting up a patrol out in the military. Up, I'm setting up this many beds, this much food, this much ammo, this much gear, blah, 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 blah to cover this much stuff. You, are you Except providing ammo, too? Yeah. You're providing no. – <laughs> No, no, that's one I don't think I could do the math on. I'm trying. I'm in the process of working with a few out or a few uh, ammo companies to see if I can get it at cost, though, mm-hmm. so I can buy it in bulk and then sell it to the to the members of the club at cost. What? Uh, I had a really good question I was going to ask. Oh, the land that you have. Do you have long term leases with all your landowners, or is this year to year stuff with them too? Uh, it's going. It's going to be year to year. But I've got a good relationship with the uh, the lease the landowner. So. As long as I don't let some of my guys tear the fields up or anything like that, I don't foresee losing the fields. In the worst case scenario, if I do, I know enough people in the area that do lease land out that I could be able to, that I'll be able to pick up pits to replace it. Like at this point, I've got the uh, the eight pits and stuff like that, so I can rotate. Like say one year or two years in a row, one pit doesn't produce because we're going to keep track of every bird shot, not just killed and, and recovered, but every bird wounded too. So I can be like, all right, we shot, we shot a thousand birds out of this pit, but this pit over here, we only shot two hundred and fifty birds. And say the next year, that same pit shoots fifteen hundred birds, and then that same pit that had two fifty the year before, oh, we only shot one hundred seventy five birds out of the pit. All these other pits produced, I'll be like, hey, um, take this pit back. You can lease it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll go get another pit. We'll rotate. We'll have like one or two pits that are on a rotational basis to try them out, kind of. And if we like them, we keep them. If we don't like them, say like, "Hey, this isn't producing enough for this club. We need to work on it." Right. <laughs> I would assume the ideal person too is someone from way off that you want on your club member as a member. I mean, to me, the ideal club member. Uh, I don't want. I don't want mommy and daddy's money. I don't want some young kid that is just out there to party and doesn't want to put in his weight, you know. I mean, he's going to come out there, hunt for three weeks and just cause problems. I want guys that are there to hunt. I want guys there to have fun and get to know people. I want guys that are willing to work with other guys. Like like you were saying, there's always that one butthead. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I want, I want guys that get along. I want guys that like to hunt, that are passionate about hunting. And that, I mean, I don't expect a guy to come out there for all six months of the year. If he wants to, by all means. But, I mean, these are the guys like me that are working most of the year, come out there for a week or two, three weeks, hunt, then go home. Right. That's what I Are most of your members from uh, Missouri or from? No. Right now, most of the, the tank members have been from out of state. So that'll work out. I mean, you know, I've got groups well, from North Carolina, Virginia, uh, Florida, Mississippi. Yeah. Now, 
Um, what about bird cleaning? Guys, they're going to be responsible for their own bird cleaning. They, Yeah, I mean, if they got on that, a breast of bird, I mean, that's going to be kind of a, something to laugh at them about. But. Right. <laughs> what about leaving a wing I mean, attached? I, we're going we're gonna to keep the wings for the dogs. Or if they want to keep the wings for themselves, they can keep the wings. It's, no, I'm it's talking. Them. They're skinning their birds. I'm talking about for the fe- for game wardens, the federal <laughs> regs. You got to keep a wing attached unless you're at your permanent dwelling. Yes, sir. Or or if you have, yeah, I mean, uh, we're we're going to go go completely by the rules. Uh, all rules are going to be followed. Yeah, and then just store. You, you'll provide storage uh, for for the clean birds, or they just need to bring coolers and stuff for. Oh, uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have deep freezers there. I'm, I'm putting in uh, two 18 cubic foot deep freezers. <coughs> Man, you you just uh, you have put pen to paper. That's a, <laughs> I mean you you've thought of you you've kind of thought of everything. Yeah, I'm, I mean I I, tr- I try to think so, but every day somebody brings up something new. Like you just brought up the dogs. Like what if everybody brings their dogs out? <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Like, oh, yeah, I've got room for them in the kennels. But right. you were sitting there like, what if everybody wants to run their dogs? I'm like, that's a good question. That's because I've dealt with that before many times. <laughs> that, that's very common. I mean, to find a guy that's a hardcore waterfowler that's going to pay that kind of money and hunt usually. Now, if you got groups of guys, then they probably have all worked that out amongst themselves. But if you get one mm-hmm. solo, I get that solo guy that calls all the time. It's got that dog. And that's I, that's just something I would you're going to have to address, I bet. And I hope you don't. Man, I sure wish you the best. I, I like the what you're what you're doing. I think it's really cool. And like I said, me and Andy don't know nothing about hunt clubs. We don't ever deal with them. We don't have any of them really out here. So it was a learning experience for us. I think for the bang hey, you guys for the are buck, in North Texas, right? Yeah, we yes. hit North Texas and Oklahoma both. But for the for the bang for the buck, I think for what you're doing, people are getting a hell of a deal. I like to think so, and hopefully, hopefully, I mean people figure it out and i mean more of this kind of stuff will pop up because i mean you see it all the time folks on hunting forums folks online hey duck hunting getting way too expensive man i can't afford to do it anymore you're killing the sport doing that i mean by doing this guys that are that work nine to five and can't afford a hundred thousand dollar lease two hundred thousand dollar lease you can combine forces and then you get to hunt above your means and enjoy yourself you get to do you get to do what hunting's all about. You enjoy the environment. You get to help the environment. You get to shoot ducks. You get to make buddies. Well, what it all started, I mean, that's how it all started. It was about guys putting meat in the freezer and enjoying each other's company. But it's diverted away from that in these last 10, 15 years. It's like, hey, I need to shoot bands. I need to do this. I need to do that. Well, the, the, the ability for people still to hunt private, public land is all over the place for duck hunting. It's the one, oh, yeah. it's the one hunting that you can do. You, there's all kinds of great public hunting, but you're going to have to work at it a little bit. This is, I think what you mm-hmm. got is a good deal, and it's for the guy that's moderate priced. I mean, $5,000 is still a lot of money to a lot of people. But, but look at what you get. Uh, I think it's a great deal. But I think for the guy that's the medium income guy that's looking for a place, I think it's great. And for the guy that don't have a lot of friends, that, or he works at a place that he don't know a lot of guys that hunt. Yeah. You know, and so it's great because he's going to get to be like around like-minded people. So I think it's great, and I wish you the best. And I sure would like to talk to you when season's over and see how it went. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So where uh, are all the spots filled? Or are you still taking people on? I still got I still got a few spots left open. Where can people get a hold of you in case uh, in case they want to join this? Uh, Damascus Waterfowlers Duck Club on Facebook or www.facebook.com slash. D W F Duck Club. 
And then I've got Instagram and my personal numbers on those pages for people to call me if they're interested in the club. And if they want a badass knife, where do they go to? You go to Damascus.USA, Facebook.com slash Damascus.USA. And I also got Instagram for that as well. Or you can call me or email me, and I can get you in on the back order list. Or if I have it in stock, I can have it out to you here probably tomorrow. What's your phone <laughs> number? I've got it in stock. You, you want 252-267-7272. Well, like Jeff said, man, we wish you all the best with your uh, hunt club this year. And we'll get you back on when the season's over, and we'll, we'll see how everything went. It sounds like you got everything looking, figured out, and uh, all you need now are ducks. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Well, uh, you go make some badass knives, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next year, huh? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Richard. We appreciate it. God bless you. Y'all have a great day. All right, thank See you, man. There he is. I think there's going to be a lot more of that coming up and around. You think so? Yeah, I can see where that's a – I mean, it's not it's not cheap. For what you get, you're getting a good deal. But still $5,000 is still $5,000. But – I think it's a great deal. Place to stay. Like he food. said, combine combine your forces, combine your resources, and then uh, that, that that's what it's about right there. It's for the guy that hunts on his own. Sure. That's going to spend five to ten thousand dollars a year anyway, hunting on his own, or going on a couple of guided trips somewhere. Yeah. It gives him an opportunity to go and be a part of something. But you know damn well you're going to have that one jackass. Oh, of course. And one guy that's just a pain in the ass. But if he can, if he can, if he can get good guys, if he can get good guys, and then. They recruit other good guys. You're going to have your shithead. I mean, it's going to happen. Just, just weed them out. Weed them out eventually, and then, you know, like he said, just build you a quality quality club that not a lot of people leave every year, and then you can kind of have familiar faces, and there you go. The ideal guy is a guy that lives in Antarctica. That's <laughs> That'd be there one, one yeah. weekend out of the year. Yeah, say one weekend a year. Yeah. And you'll have guys like that because money is something. People have got a lot of money. It's not an issue. Right. You know, five thousand dollars, and Bill goes hunting one weekend mm-hmm. a year. But he's happy. That we don't care. Sure. We make lots of. We make a half million a year. What's it matter? Sure, that's a perfect deal. But that guy that spends that, that thinks he's got to get the most bang for his buck, mm-hmm. or the hot spot every day. That's that's where it's going to be an interesting deal. The dog thing, though. When I said that, you could hear he's like, oh, because mm-hmm. I could see the wrong twenty guys. But if you got a group of six guys coming together, you know damn well they're not right. bringing six dogs. They'll work it out. And yep. like he said, common sense. They'll work it all out. You remember when we was in North Dakota and those groups from guys were from Virginia there? And there was eight of them guys or something. They had a couple Suburbans, and they had bought a house up in this little town we were yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. That was basically the same thing they right. were doing. Yep. You know, but their 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 money was spent on a house, and they would come for two weeks. Well, they probably, when you did all the money between each guy, they were spending three four $4,000 a piece, I bet. Yeah. Shit, out-of-state license. I don't know what Missouri's out-of-state license is, but he's buying their license, mm-hmm. their stamps. Food. Food. Well, I know some tight asses that sure take advantage of on that Fuck deal. Fuck yeah. Oh, man. Oh, you mean we're not having ribeyes tonight? Yeah. I uh, know. We're having beanie weenies. <laughs> it's hamburger helper tonight, motherfucker. I'm tired. Now, I, I am predicting when we talk to him in six months or after the season's over next year, he's not doing meals next year. Yeah. The second year. Would you do meals? No, That's I wouldn't. Too but, much work. But how, I mean, how do you do it? You, know? you just tell them they can bring their own food. There's a kitchen available. You clean up after yourselves. <sighs> See, that seems like a fucking... That seems like it could lead to problems too, though. Well, if Bill don't clean up after himself, no, you kick if, his ass if, out. If if Bill brings ribeyes for Bill, Tom, and Joe, and then left out Leroy, he's just fucked. Steve, Leroy, and Lamont well, are all there in the corner, and they're eating their beanie weenies. And I, if 
anywhere we go, okay, if we're cooking. Judge pays for the meals. No, if we're cooking, which we did in uh, North Dakota. Yes. One night we had steak. It's just custom. Most guys, if they go out and they're cooking, one night they're going to do steak. you say we went skiing or when we went to North Dakota? North Dakota. Oh, I I went to the grocery store and got steaks, I think, one night. Right. And that's customary. Most guys, one night they're going to have a big meal. Do we? No, we went out eight for lunch. We went dinner. We went we had one steak night. one night. We went out and had dinner. Okay, had steak too. Here's one here's night. here's uh, we we see. Okay, then say that. But when we have guys here that make their own meals, most of the time one night is steak, and one night is just something else. Like Some, tom- something easy. The guys are having fajitas tonight. We have a hog hunting group here. Right. Got a hog hunt, but they're doing their own meals. Right. And the guys big corporate deal, and he's cooking a bunch of steaks tomorrow night. Yep. Doing fajitas tonight. He's picking them up to go to bring them here. Mm-hmm. But then tomorrow night he's cooking steaks and all the fixings. Right. You're right. So Steak one, is a staple usually one night. One on. night you're having a, a big meal. The other night you're going to have something that, you know, that's kind of relatively easy to do, something that might be pre-made. So if I was there and brought steaks for me and my buddies and then there were three or four other guys that, you know, were having Lunchables – I would feel bad. I would feel like a dick for not having steaks for everybody. Well, me, I would say, hey, I'm buying steaks tonight. We're having steaks tonight. Would you like to yeah, go? But, I mean, and if they said, no, we don't really want to draw, I'd say, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to pick up some steaks for you guys, too. But if you don't know how many people are going to be there, and well, you're you're doing all this ahead of time. Then go to the grocery store. And I, I just I'm just I thinking. I'm, I'm looking at I it from his bad. end of the deal. I, right. I mean, when you got two guys that come up on a Wednesday night, and he's got to feed them. Yeah. I mean, that's what sucks. Yeah. You like Sonic? Yeah. <laughs> that's so. what in Oklahoma we don't have to feed nobody, right? And that's nice for us. Uh-huh. All I got to worry about is feeding you jackasses. Yeah. And every night it's all it's freaking disaster. We're not going to go to a place that serves beer tonight. No, well, it's a Sonic. Well, we don't have a lot of choices. It's either go to a place that serves beer, and we're there, and Blake orders one pitcher too many. Right when we're fixing to get the check, this is Blake all the time. Oh, can we get in our picture? We'll have another picture over I'm here. Like, what the fuck? Ed? It's time to go, Blake. Yeah. Well, well, I'll pay for it. It's not a paying deal. It's time to go. <laughs> Shit. You're not going to pay me in my time back. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to go. I got three calls to make. I'm tired. You're tired. Yeah. Call. Everybody's finishing up. Way to go, Hefe. How's everything? How's everything? It's when the waitress makes the last, how's everything going call? He's like, one more picture. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Never going to get out of here. <laughs> I miss Blake. Yep, we'll have to <coughs> we'll have to call him. We need to get him on the. We need to have him on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um. What else we got going on? My Packers have been in disarray. Sounds to me like they're getting their shit together finally. It sounds to me like your coach was McCarthy. a problem. It was McCarthy. I texted I texted Sarecki earlier, and he said Rogers' numbers went to shit when McCarthy got fired. But I thought he played better. I, and then I got busy, and I never got back. Well, to they it. were out of it, and the give a shitter was broke. I'm sure. But I evidently, and Greg Jennings, I saw Greg Jennings on Cowherd, and he was talking just a lot of the things that were in that report were pretty accurate. Who who come up with that report anyway? I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers' stats. Week 16, he gave, he put up 442 yards and two touchdowns. Detroit, the week 17, he got knocked out, concussion. I don't remember what week did McCarthy get fired. About week eleven or ten. 
Week 11 against Seattle, Rodgers, 332, two touchdowns. Week 12 against Minnesota, 198, one touchdown. Arizona, 233. I mean, nothing, not world beater numbers, except for week 16 against the Jets. Well, they, they need, they're, they're, they're in a bind because they have to have Rodgers. But I mean, really, you look at all year, week one, 286, three touchdowns. Week two, 281, one touchdown. Week three, 265, two touchdowns. And then he lit it up week five and week six. But other than that, pretty pretty mild numbers. So, I don't know. We'll see. But, but I do think a change of, change of the guard. Uh, you were making a big deal the other day that Rodgers hadn't met LaFleur yet. That's what they, they said. He hadn't met him. I don't think it's a big deal, though. Tony, you think a, a coach should meet his quarterback – the new Green Bay coach has not met Aaron Rodgers. Been hired for two and a half months. I think it's bullshit. I think he should. I think Rodgers should go to him or something. They should have a meeting. I don't think it's they have off. had meetings. They've called each other. A fucking call. okay. If you are a CEO of a company, we've you, got all and, this technology. There is no reason for face to face anymore. Bullshit. That's what's wrong with the world. No. Yes. You think? But you, you, no. Yes. You can you can FaceTime to each other. Rodgers doesn't have to leave Northern California. LaFleur doesn't have to leave that fucking icicle of Green Bay. They need to leave and get together. They will. Uh, they need to be together. I don't give a two shits. I hope Green Bay goes 0-16. And you, it won't happen, but I hope it does. That. You don't mean yeah, that. Yeah, I do. Now I know that you're kidding. Mm-mm. Either Not. way, it's all McCarthy's fault. McCarthy's gone. The pack is back. We'll see. We got pig hunts to do. Anyways, everybody go give reviews on yep. iTunes. One year anniversary. Also, folks. Next week, we're going to have Jim Kern on here, the Emu. Great story. Texas Ranger pitcher, pitching the majors for 10, 12 years. Son with me many times as an outfitter, sells Amazon bass trips and uh, peacock bass trips and uh, the Amazon. A good friend of mine. I've known him for, all, for 25, 26, 27 years since I've been in the hunting business. He'll be on with us. He's a good story. He's a funny son of a bitch. And what else we got next week? We have something else, too, and I can't remember what it was. A couple turkey hunts next week. I'm talking about podcast-wise. Oh. I don't remember. We have somebody else on the podcast, too, next week. I can't remember. I think, uh, like Jeff said, leave a review on iTunes. That drawing is also next Tuesday, correct, in the ninth Tuesday? Yes, Tuesday is the ninth. We'll draw. After your turkey hunt on that morning, we'll draw and let everybody know who won the, the dove hunt giveaway. So that'll be fun. Uh, be sure to leave a review. Go to iTunes one-year anniversary, and you will be entered to win because that's coming up. I think we need to set our fantasy draft the day of the draft, day of the football draft. Huh? We set the draft the day of the draft? Well, yeah, we're going we to. S- what the fuck are you? That's what you the just day said. The day of the NFL draft, three weeks. Set our fantasy draft? Fuck that shit. There's shit, all kinds of shit will happen between now and then. Why? It never does. Well, Why it, can't we set the order of our draft? Oh, we can set the order. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if everybody's coming back yet, though. I need to verify. But we can still do it that way. The next three weeks, let's send out a a message, make sure everybody's coming back, and let's set the order of our fantasy draft the the same night of uh, the NFL draft. Bingo, I'm good with that. That way I can start getting a game plan. Yep. Got to hurry up and get in 10th place. Got to get get all the time. See when I'm going to get... the secret weapon. I've already got it all planned out. I've got I've got a position for no matter where you put me. I, yeah. I know what um, I'm picking. And also, if you've got pre-hunts booked with me and I've sent you an invoice and you haven't sent a deposit, fix to take everybody off the books I hadn't got deposits from. So <sighs> I've got some calls on some – I've had some calls on some dates that I've already got booked that are booked solid, and I'm fixing to call them people back and say that them dates are available. So if you've got invoices out and you haven't paid a deposit, you better get that money in here or them dates are going to be gone. Anyways, thank you for that listening. That was one thing I didn't ask him. 
What? About the 5000 She's just got to be paid up front. All of it up front? Yet? I would think or so. Or deposit? I would think. We'll never know. Shit. Bye, guys. <laughs>